filled with the Holy Spirit afresh tonight. Just like we learned this morning. Be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. Let Him flood every part of your life. Let Him flood every part of who you are. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. There's none like you, Lord. There's none like you, Lord. None compares to you. Holy Spirit, just fill every heart tonight. Fill every heart tonight. Yes, Lord. Oh, Lord, fill every heart. Take away loneliness tonight. Take away depression tonight, Lord. That's it, Holy Spirit. Flood every heart. That's it, Holy Spirit. Flood every heart tonight. so glad that you're with us tonight just going to invite those who are here just to take your seats and uh, man there's a rich presence of God here there really is as people begin to stir up their hearts and just say Lord we're here for you we want you it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just turns up every time just in power and in life and it's a privilege tonight to have Pastor Stuart bringing us the next installment of our theme of building the house and uh, wherever you're watching from you could be in the kitchen you could be in the living room we just want to welcome you and uh, obviously give a huge welcome again to everybody that's present here tonight about 2,000 people here tonight roughly <laughs> squeezed in now that would be illegal wouldn't it that, that would be there aren't 2,000 people here if you're watching Boris or anyone yeah, there's not 2,000 that was a joke that was an anti joke okay but we've got a great bunch tonight they're just hungry for God and I know that you watching at home you're hungry too so without further ado we're gonna hand over to Pastor Stuart just to minister God's Word to us tonight come on let's give Pastor Stuart a big round of applause Great. Well, welcome everybody uh, in person and live online. Boris, welcome. Chris Whitty, welcome. We love your graphs. I love your graphs personally. I just think they're brilliant. Uh, a bit confusing sometimes. Uh, and it's great to be here for Sunday Night Local. And um, uh, we're going to get straight into the word tonight because I've got a lot to say, like I did last time I spoke. So. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, notebooks, then definitely you want to be uh, taking some notes tonight. Um, but the main thing is your hearts are big, wide and open, ready to receive what God's got to say. So, tonight is part seven of um, our subject, of our theme, building the house. And tonight I'm going to be speaking about protecting what's been built. So, we've got one more part after tonight. Next week, Richard Dickin is sharing with us. Uh, on part eight of building the house and then after that we're going to move on to our new topic which is going, I don't know if I've told you this yet but it's going to be on the gifts of the Holy Spirit we're going to call it um, the believer's toolbox 
So we'll be letting you know uh, how that's going to pan out over the next few weeks. But we're really excited about what God's doing on Sunday nights. This opportunity just to teach the word is wonderful. So uh, let's get straight in. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah, I don't know why I just broke his name in half then. Uh, Nehemiah learns that although the temple in Jerusalem has been rebuilt, the city itself is still in ruins and there is no protection from the enemy uh, due to the walls being broken down, the gates being burnt and broken down and they're not hanging anymore. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, we read Nehemiah's account of what happens next. So, first scripture, Nehemiah 2 verses 1 to 3. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been in his presence, sorry, never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So that's very observant of the king, I thought. You know, Nehemiah's always presented himself to the king, obviously with a happy face, uh, unless he's been ill. And now he's not ill, and the king knows that, but he's sad of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lays, lies waste and its gates are burnt with fire? So Nehemiah is not a happy man. Yes, the temple has been rebuilt. Yes, the presence of God is, is dwelling back in the midst of God's people again. But there is no protection and the ground hasn't yet been taken for God's kingdom yet. So now the reason the state of Jerusalem um, bothered Nehemiah so much was because um, the temple had been rebuilt. Um, they hadn't yet taken back the ground that the enemy had taken from them. Um, that re- that's represented by the broken down walls. Once they took back the ground, the walls were rebuilt. And they were very vulnerable to, to attack. The gates were missing. And so the gates had to be rehung as well. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls to take back what the enemy had stolen. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, there is a very detailed account of how the walls were rebuilt. Um, We also see the importance of the gates being rehung in that chapter there in order to protect the city from the attack of the enemy. And Nehemiah gives details of 10 out of the 12 gates of Jerusalem that were uh, around in the walls of Jerusalem. Um, Presumably the other two gates were hung or or the spaces were made in the walls later on or maybe they were already hanging there. Um, Maybe they hadn't been broken down. But anyway, do you want to know the name of the gates? Okay, I'll tell you. Um, There was the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung or the refuse gate and that was the only gate where the people of the city took their refuse out of the city. The Fountain Gate, the Water Gate, the Horse Gate, the East Gate, and the Mythcard Gate. They're the ten, ten of the gates. And, uh, and then there was the Ephraim Gate and the Prison Gate, which weren't mentioned in Nehemiah chapter three. three. So, so Nehemiah makes a point of detailing how the walls are rebuilt, which represents the kingdom of God taking back its ground from the enemy. And he makes a point of mentioning the gates being restored, which the point there is that they were then protected from the attack of the enemy. Now in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1, this is from the New Living Translation, it says this, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem and the Arab and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. 
So the gates themselves then had doors in them, like these huge massive gates, and there was doors in the gates um, that people could pass through. So rather than having to open the gate every time someone wanted to go through, there was just a little door in the gate. Um, so, so we see here that Nehemiah is still concerned, in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1, the verse that we just read, um, he's still concerned that the city could be vulnerable to attack as the doors hadn't yet been installed in the gates. So the gates are hanging, but there's still a gap in the gates. Okay, so um, there's a reason why I'm saying all of this. The spaces for the doors were now the only gaps that the enemy could potentially get through to steal, kill and destroy. That's what Tobiah, Sambalat and Geshem the Arab wanted to do. They wanted to come in and they wanted to steal, kill and destroy from God's people. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? However, take it further, one, one further chapter, Nehemiah 7 verse 1, we see that the doors were finally hung, the gatekeepers were appointed to keep guard at the gates, and even the doors, we're told here, should be kept shut and locked. So let's read this, Nehemiah 7 verses 1 to 3. After the wall was finished, I had set up, and I had set up the doors in the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. They were quite similar names, didn't they? Hananunana was another one. That's a joke. Uh, so, um, for he was a faithful man, he feared God more than most. And I said to them, Do not leave the gates open. Did everyone hear that? Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day when the heat is on. Do not leave the gates open. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on regular watch. Some will serve at the sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Okay, so Nehemiah is very, he's got a thing about the gates. He's got a thing about the gates being closed, the doors being closed and locked. He's got a thing about the gatekeepers being at the gates. Um, and even um, when, when the heat is on, it's important that the gates are kept closed. Now, in our lives personally and in our lives collectively, so individually and together with the church, right? Um, it's vital that there are strong gates installed that protect the ground that we have taken from the enemy for God's kingdom. Again, both in our lives personally and in the church. It's important that we keep guard of those gates continually. We must be wise to the fact that the enemy, the devil, wants to come and steal and kill and destroy. So let's read from John chapter 10 now. Verses, first of all, verses 1 to 2 and then verse 10. Jesus said this, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and the robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And here Jesus is drawing a distinction between those that have good intentions and those that have bad intentions, between the enemy and between the good shepherd. And he's saying, if you see someone trying to get in, that um, isn't trying to come through the, the door, then be very careful that you don't let them in. Um, actually, though, there are some that you should allow in. 
So obviously Jesus should always be allowed to have access to our lives. As Pastor Andy was saying this morning, access all areas. Jesus should always have access to our lives. Um, Whereas the thief, the devil, and those that he uses to try and steal, kill and destroy from our lives should not be given access to our lives. And we need to know when to keep the gate closed and when to open the gate. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and and have it more abundantly. So we've got to keep the gates of our lives close to the thief, but open to the shepherd. Now, there are many things that can steal and kill and destroy from our lives that need to be prevented from coming into our lives and from entering the church as well. The devil loves to get in there in the midst of God's people and cause havoc and cause destruction. And we have a joint responsibility to keep watch at the gates of the city of God, the church, and ensure that the thief is not allowed to come in and destroy what God is building. Amen? So... Um, it's not always obvious what those things are. You know, sometimes uh, the thief, um, the, the wolf dresses up as a sheep, right? And sometimes it can appear that, that the person that's standing at the door of our lives or the door of the church knocking and saying, let me in, let me in, um, they seem good. Uh, but we have to be a discerning people as well. We have to, like the gatekeepers, we have to discern whether they have good intentions or bad intentions. So there's things that need to be kept out of our lives, out of the church. Um, Nehemiah was very discerning. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we read this. Isn't Jan doing a great job tonight? And then I perceived, perceived, I keep wanting to say, everyone say, <laughs> then I perceived that God had not sent him, that's Shemaiah, at all. Uh, so, so basically, uh, Nehemiah had gone to see this, this guy, Shemaiah, and, um, and Shemaiah had said, I've got a word of God for you. And, and then he said that, um, that Nehemiah should basically go to the temple and shut himself in the temple and hide, and, uh, because the enemy is trying to get him. So then Nehemiah says, Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they may have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. So at the same time as, as the thief trying to invade our lives and get in, um, There are many good things that come from the shepherd that should be allowed to enter into our lives. Now, we're not going to focus so much on those things tonight, um, but all of those things we find in the Word of God. Um, And the Word of God itself is one of those things that we should allow into our lives and ensure it's coming into our lives on a regular basis. And when it comes to our lives personally, it's our own responsibility, not someone else's, It's not someone else's responsibility to keep guard of the gates of your life. It's your responsibility. Um, It's my responsibility to ensure that the gates of my life are closed to the enemy. And it says in Proverbs 4 verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it spring the issues of life. In the New Living Translation, it's worded this way. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You have to just think about that for a minute. Guard your heart. Guard your heart, because your heart determines the course of your life. So according to this proverb, the path that your life takes, the course that your life takes, is determined by your heart, by the condition of your heart. So we've got to guard, we've got to protect our hearts personally in order to have a healthy, strong heart, which will lead us to take a good path. Now, when it comes to the, the church, we often say that the leadership of the church is the heart and the soul of the church. And it's important that the heart of the church, the leadership, um, is protected, is guarded, because out of the leadership flows the path that we take for God's kingdom. Um, and, and, and the leadership is the heart and the soul of the church, because um, in John, uh, I think it's Second John, um, he writes that, um, Beloved, I pray that you will prosper and be in health above all things, that you will prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. So if the soul of a person is prospering, if the heart of a pers- person is prospering, they will, they will prosper and be in health. So this is really, really important for us individually, but also for the church, for us as believers collectively. Now we see in Nehemiah chapter 7, that we have shared responsibility to stand guard at the gates of the city. Um, we read that passage just now in Nehemiah 7 verse, I think it was verse 2, I think it says, where um, people were appointed, people from the city were appointed to the gates. So there was a, a joint responsibility to stand guard at the gates and to report back to the elders if there was something trying to come into the city that shouldn't be. And again, when it comes to the church, we, God's people, we all have responsibility for the house of God. We all have responsibility for the city of God to ensure that there are not things that are coming into God's church that shouldn't be allowed, things that can steal and kill and destroy. And if you become aware of those things, do what Nehemiah's people were were instructed to do, go to the elders and, and let them know what you're discerning. Now in our lives and in the church, that it's vital that we don't leave gates open or unlocked for the enemy. I think we've established that now tonight. So let's be diligent to protect what has been taken for God's kingdom, what has been taken back for God's kingdom. Just as Nehemiah was diligent in hanging the gates of Jerusalem, positioning guards, keeping the gates locked. Jesus Jesus spoke of how the enemy works in Matthew chapter 12. This is what Jesus said about how the enemy operates. Verses 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Now just pause there. That's kind of like Jerusalem would have been when the temple was rebuilt, the walls were rebuilt, but the gates were not hung. The enemy would have, Tobiah, Sambalat, Geshem, the Arab, they would have um, seen that, that Jerusalem had become 
started to become a beautiful city again and it was their intention to come back in and destroy what was being built. So that's how the enemy works. So it says this, Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem had been emptied of the enemy. It had been swept clean, it had been put in order, and now God himself was dwelling in that place. And that was one of the keys to the enemy not being able to come back into that place. God was in the midst of that place. And the enemy was not happy about that. The enemy wanted to take the city back again. It wanted to destroy the temple. But Nehemiah was not going to let this happen, which is why he put gates in place and gatekeepers in place and kept the gates closed. Now there are many things that can still kill and destroy the advancement of God's kingdom in our lives and in the church. And I'm just going to talk about Well, depending on time, I'm going to talk about three or four of those things now, tonight. I think things that are very important for us to be understanding of, gates in our lives that we need to keep shut to the enemy, okay? So, if we're going to protect what God is building and has built in our lives, there's four gates, and there's loads of gates, but there's four that I'm going to speak about, maybe three tonight. The first gate I want to speak about is fear. I believe fear, if that gate is open to the enemy, then the enemy can come, he will have a field day in your life if you allow the gate of fear to be open. Now fear, uh, worry, anxiety can open a gate to the enemy and allow him to still kill and, dis- kill and destroy from your life. It can cause us, fear can cause us to hide away or retreat rather than push forward in our lives. If anyone's ever suffered from anxiety, fear, or or severe bouts of worry, you'll you'll understand that it can cause you to hide away, retreat, rather than push forwards in your life. This is what the enemy tried to get Nehemiah to do in Nehemiah chapter 6. So we've already read some of this account, but I just want to read the whole thing again here. Nehemiah says this, uh, chapter 6 verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, no, Delilah, the son of Mehatebel, I didn't practice these ones, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come and kill you. And I said, should a man such as I Sorry, should such a man as I flee? And who is there, such as I, who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived, here it is again, perceived, that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid. He was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. So fear, fear can cause us to hide away. And and we've got to recognise where fear comes from. And we've got to ensure that the gates of fear is closed in our lives. Fear is not allowed to come in to our lives. 
And that doesn't mean we won't have moments where we're afraid or where we worry or feel anxious, but it's what we do with that that counts. And we have to find the strength in God to overcome fear. We'll talk about that in just a second. So fear can also cause the situation that we're in to seem much bigger than it really is. Anyone ever felt that before? That you just feel overwhelmed by the situation? Um, And actually, sometimes when you're thinking in a a more rational state of mind, uh, things don't seem quite as bad. But actually, in that moment of fear, you can just feel totally overshadowed by the situation. It keeps, fear keeps us focused on our natural strength, doesn't it? When we should actually be taking hold of God's strength. And um, I love this account in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha is being pursued by the king of Syria. And it says here in, in 2 Kings six fourteen. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master. I mean, when someone uses the word alas, you know you're in trouble, don't you? Alas, my master. What shall we do? What shall we do? That reminded me of Danny Thornton then. Remember he preached that message, what shall we do? (laughs) So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's looking around thinking, well, it's just me and you, Elisha. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, the army of the Lord around Elisha. So what, what um, the servant here had to do was get his eyes off of the natural stuff and onto the stuff that God was doing behind the scenes of his life. Because I guarantee you God is always working behind the scenes of your life. And sometimes we just need to tune into the spiritual things, tune into what God's doing rather than keep our eyes focused on the natural things. So... When worry or anxiety or fear comes, it's important that we take our eyes off of the natural circumstances and see what's happening in the spirit realm. When it tries to take hold of you, when fear tries to take hold of you, remember the words of Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? God's peace guards our hearts and minds. In other words, God's peace, when we allow God's peace in, it closes the gate of anxiety and fear. And the enemy can't come in with that weapon. Matthew 6 verse 33 it's not on the screen but Jesus told us not to worry in Matthew 6 33 but instead to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and as we do that then everything we need will be provided for us so there's some wonderful keys in scripture to uh, living free of fear but that's one gate that I, I believe that we need to be aware of and keeping close that the enemy cannot come into our lives with fear or worry or anxiety. Another gate I believe that we need to keep closed in our lives is the gate of hurt. 
I don't know of a time in my life when I've heard more Christians saying how hurt they feel about this, that and the other. Um, it just occurred to me when I was preparing for tonight, I've heard that expression so many times and I'm not downplaying the, the fact that people get hurt and feel hurt sometimes, <clears throat> but sometimes I think maybe we should use the word offended more than hurt because actually you're offended, you're not hurt. And, and there's, a, there's a slight difference there. I think hurt is when um, you receive something, something is done to you to hurt you, it causes pain, it causes hurt, whereas offence is something that you take. Um, and, and, and actually you know that, that that person didn't really mean to hurt you. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So hurt and offence can open up a gate for the enemy to come in and steal, kill and destroy. So we all feel hurt or offended sometimes, but it's what we do with that that matters. Again, it's the same with fear. We all feel fear sometimes, we all feel anxiety sometimes, but it's what we do with that that matters. So we all feel hurt or offended sometimes, but what are we going to do with that? If we don't deal with hurt and offence properly, then it can end up turning into something that we, we then harbour in our hearts. It can turn into bitterness, it can turn into unforgiveness, and it destroys relationships. And what a shame, when the enemy is allowed to win, in this way, destroying relationships that God brought together in the first place for his kingdom purposes. I always think, what a shame. But the, it's, it's up to the individual who is feeling that hurt, feeling that offence. They have to deal with that. Um, and sometimes there's no one else that can do that for them. It has to be them that, that comes to that place. So. We've got to not allow the enemy to get in that way in our lives, in the church. We've got to guard our hearts from the destruction of hurt or offence. Do you know how we do that? We go to the person that hurt us or offended us with one, only one acceptable outcome in our hurt, hearts. And that is, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to get over this and I'm going to have a conversation that helps me to do that. Now, I've felt hurt many times in my life. Um, and had plenty of opportunity to be offended with other people. But I refuse to let feelings of hurt or offence damage my heart. Such feelings are not allowed to stay in my life. On very few occasions, only a few occasions, I've felt the need to speak to the person about what they said or they did. But most of the time, I just get over it. And that's a good way to live. Don't allow stuff to stay with you. Just get over it. Because actually, most of the time, people aren't being deliberately mean or horrible or hurting you. They're just being stupid sometimes. And hey, I've also had lots of people tell me that they're offended with me at different times. Um, and usually that's because I've just said something without thinking about it. It happens. Those of you that know me know that that happens sometimes. Um, and when people come to me, my first response when they tell me that they're offended with me is to tell them that they're being stupid and to get over it um, or to try and justify why I said what I said or why I did what I did. But actually the best response is to acknowledge that they feel hurt, acknowledge that they feel offended with me um, and that I've caused that and, and to apologise for any hurt or offence that I've caused. Why not? Why not apologise? Um, even if 
even if you're not wrong, why not apologise? Um, it's only pride that will stop you doing that. Um, so, it says in Proverbs 19, verse 11, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook transgression. Shrillers haven't looked at the camera very much. Hello, I know you're still with us. Thank you for watching. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. So there's something. There's something. If you want to um, do something that's glorious, overlook a transgression. One of the keys to overcoming hurt and offence in our lives is remembering how much God has overlooked in our lives, how much he's forgiven us of. Luke 7 verse 47. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are judging this lady who comes and anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume and is just weeping and, and loving on Jesus. And, and, and they're just rebuking her, saying, what a waste of money, breaking that jar, pouring that jar of oil over Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to them, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, <laughs> imagine her, all right, <laughs> her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So, she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows only little love. In other words, it's not about how much God's forgiven us. It's about our understanding of God's forgiveness. If you understand how much you've been forgiven, you will be someone that just pours your love out on Jesus continually and on others as well. So, we've talked about um, fear, hurt, just a quick one now on lust. Didn't think you are going to hear that word on Sunday Night Local, did you? Lust. Lust can open up a gate for the enemy to steal and kill and destroy. It convinces you that what you have is not enough. And it appeals to insecurities that you have. It causes you to go in search of things that satisfy your life and bring fulfilment to your life. But the truth is this, that nothing in this world can satisfy or fulfill you fully. Only Jesus can. And Jeremiah 2 verse 13 puts it perfectly. This is one of my go-to verses of all time. God says this to his people through Jeremiah. For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living waters. And they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. So two evil things. They've abandoned God and then they've gone looking for that water elsewhere. And there is only one who is the living water. There is only one who can truly satisfy and tr truly fulfill your life. And that is Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Now, when you open the door to lust in your life, it takes a lot of courage and commitment to close it again. Usually, the only way to close that door to lust is to be brave enough to ask for help. The enemy will keep trying to push that door open. And so, it's important that when the enemy has come through that door and knows that that's a door that they can keep coming back to, and they will... Um, it's important that we get people to stand with us and push that door closed and keep it closed. Um, to do that is a wise thing. It's especially true for people, both men and women, who have opened the door to pornography 
or um, ungodly sexual relationships in their lives. And I've seen these things take a massive hold on people. And, um, and I've seen the destruction that can come as a result. But I want to put a, a little word in there. But, but God, by his grace, can help you overcome all of that stuff and get free from that stuff and keep that door closed in the future. Now in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. And the first temptation was to find satisfaction from the natural things around him. So the devil came and said, turn those stones to bread. If you're the son of God, turn those stones into bread. Get fulfillment from, uh, from, from that. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He recognised that God was his only source of satisfaction and fulfilment. And that's the truth, isn't it? That God's our only true source of life. Everything that satisfies and everything that fulfills us comes from God and God alone. And there is no fulfilment outside of him. Okay, so I'm going to cover the fourth one. Even though technically I've had my 35 minutes tonight. Uh, but it's only, it's important. And, and this gate is pride. So we talked about fear, hurt, lust. And this last one is pride. Pride can open up a gate for the enemy to come and steal, kill and destroy in our lives. Pride listens to voices like this. You're not appreciated enough by those people. They don't see your incredible giftings. If you come over here, you'll be much more celebrated. You're underused. You should have much more responsibility. Why are you listening to them? What qualifies them to do this more than you? You know better than they do. Go and do your own thing. Pride. Those voices in our lives can cause so much pride. And if we listen to those voices, we will go down a path that will cause a certain uh, fall and destruction. So, and basically what happens, if we listen to those voices, we leave our post at the gate, going after those things. Um, sorry, just lost my, my thought there. So it could even mean that we've wandered outside the city to go after what the enemy is enticing us with. Um, and outside the city, outside the church or the local church that God has placed us in. Um, this is exactly what the enemy tried to do to Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 6 verses 2 to 8, I just want to read this passage, it's so important. So it says this, So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet with them at one of the villages in the plain of Oh no. <laughs> he should, should have realised that was a bad place to go. Oh no. But I realised that they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message. Each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. So I, I guess this letter was read to everyone. There is a rumour among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that's why you're building this wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is the king in Judah. You can, 
you can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come with me and talk it over with me. We'll sort something out. I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. I just love that. I love that reply. I love the reply where he says, I'm engaged in a great work. I'm not going to leave what I'm doing to come and be bothered by you. And uh, if there had been any pride in Nehemiah's heart, it's quite possible that he would have gone outside the city and, and met with Sambalat and Geshem. But he didn't. There wasn't pride in his heart. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride allows the enemy to come in and destroy. It takes you out of God's covering. In fact, it takes you... Um, in fact, pride can actually cause you to, to not just be out of God's covering, but actually to experience his resistance in your life. Because it says in 1 Peter 5, it says, God resists the proud. It says, hand of resistance is upon you when you're proud. But it says he gives grace to the humble. And then it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. So I'd much rather experience the hand of God that lifts me up than the hand of God that resists me. Amen? So that's all I want to talk about tonight. Um, let's be people who are watchful and alert. Let's keep the gates closed. Let's not let the enemy come in and steal, kill and destroy. Amen. Hey, wasn't that a good word? And four really good points there. Hope you enjoyed that watching at home. And uh, four really good points about practical things in our life. Gates that we can all um, get into trouble if we don't watch them. And so, yeah, if you took good notes there on the four gates, that's brilliant. But good job, Stuart. That was amazing. And I love the detail that Stuart puts in and the time he puts into laying the detail out. And uh, hey, that makes it really good. I hope you've enjoyed tonight. And if you're watching at home, I hope you enjoyed tonight. And we'll be back next week for the final part of this series. Yeah. But then we're starting a brand new series, which is the Believer's Toolbox, which is all about how the Holy Spirit in you can use the gifts that he's brought with him through your life for the benefit of others. And that's going to be amazing. So we're looking